To pick a moment when the gig economy first arrived in the UK isn't really possible. The gig economy isn't one app, nor one sector, but made up of a myriad of different companies which arrived on the UK shores in dribs and drabs. But there's one moment that always stands out to me as the point where the gig economy entered into our collective consciousness. It was 2014 and Uber is starting to make its name in London and the traditional black cab industry were up in arms. They took to the streets and blockaded central London, bringing traffic to a standstill and gaining national media coverage. You probably know that there is a considerable dispute going on among traditional black cab drivers at the launch of a new app, which they say is uh, threatening their livelihood. Now, there's been something about... But far from damaging the company, the protest led to an 850% increase in downloads of the Uber app as the media finally turned its attention to this new company promising to reinvent the taxi market. This moment feels symbolic. The moment that signalled the transformation of the gig economy from fringe to mainstream as an age-old industry gave its final effort to protect itself from the onslaught of the new. The moment that gig economy platforms took hold as an integral part of many people's lives in the UK. It was another year before the number of Uber drivers surpassed that of black cab drivers. And as of this year, there were more than twice as many Uber drivers as black cab drivers in the capital. Last month, Fairwork released our first ever round of scoring for the UK. We gave 11 platforms a fairness score out of 10, based on their ability to provide fair and decent work. Scores range from 8 all the way down to 0, showing a massive variation in the types of work being provided by different platforms. But the conditions present within the gig economy do not arise in a vacuum but emerge out of specific social, cultural, economic and political contexts. I'm Robbie Waring, and to mark the release of the first round of UK scores, this week on the Fair Work podcast, we are joined by Alessio Bertolini, a postdoctoral researcher at Fair Work. Alessio is here to help us understand the gig economy in the UK. Where did it come from? What decisions led us to this point? And what does the future hold? we begin by exploring the deceptively complicated question of what actually is the gig economy. So the gig economy is indeed a very complicated phenomenon, which in many respects, and to some extent, uh, is a very new form of work, which is based on and mediated by digital platforms. But at the same time, it also resembles other forms of work that have existed actually for centuries. Uh, so many people say that it resembles very much the type of work that existed before industrial capitalism, also in the first stages of the industrial revolution, where a lot of the jobs that were offered were very precarious, were on demand, were paid piece rate, without a clear career, without a clear time pattern, and without a workplace even, with many people working from home. So in a sense, uh, it resembles these very old forms of work that have been sort of eliminated or have de- decreased during the past uh, decades or in the past century. But at the same time, it's very similar to other forms of non-standard employment, which have spread in the past two or three decades 
in the UK, but also in many other developed countries and developing countries, like zero-hour contract, like jobs on call, like temporary agency work. And many other forms of work, which def definitely don't resemble still what people have in mind, the, the kind of standardized full-time nine-to-five job for life, which hasn't in a sense been the standard for quite a long time in the UK and in many other countries. So in a sense, the gig economy is something new, but it's also something very old, rooted in a history of the deregulation of employment rights and neoliberal governance. But what really marks the gig economy out is that the work itself is mediated by digital platforms. The platform do act nowadays as employers. And of course, um, the term employers and employees are actually quite uh, controversial in many ways. And we'll discuss maybe this a little bit later. But basically, a lot of the functions that more traditional employers have, like management controls, hiring and firing, uh, control over the, the workload are now performed directly by the platform, partly in automated ways through algorithms and other digital devices, but also partly through people, uh, but always through the intermediation of the app or the platform. Um, and this is the real difference. Of course, with this main change, uh, there are also some related issues and some related characteristics of platform work, which makes it very different from other forms of work, such as the fact that management is mostly done automatically by algorithms. The fact that many of the decisions, a lot of the management choices are also automated and done through algorithms. Um, and of course, this has related issues with, uh, for example, data protection, data control, and data management, because these flasons Apart from giving jobs, they also harvest large amounts of data from workers in often no very transparent uh, way. Um, so this is, in a sense, these are characteristics that make platform work very different from more traditional forms of work and makes platforms quite different from more traditional employers. So if we understand that a key aspect of the gig economy is that work is platform mediated, then of course, we have to ask, what are platforms? So the term platform itself is also quite uh, controversial. Um, so generally, platforms are defined as a digital marketplace that allow to the digital meeting of demand and supply. But platforms, at least some of these platforms, actually do much more than simply matching demand and supply. Platforms are apps or technological devices that you generally use through computers or through Platforms, and they provide a lot of the functions that generally a normal workplace and, as I was saying earlier, also more traditional employers uh, do. Um, so workers can find work through the app room, through text messages, through simple messaging on the app. Uh, they know where to go. Uh, they use the GPS to be allocated a specific direction or a specific path they need to follow. Uh, thanks to the app, they know where to meet the client, they know how long we'll have to take to perform a certain functions, they know the price and the pay they're going to receive for a certain service. And as I was saying earlier, also a lot of the management function and control function are also operated through this device. So platforms organise work. They act as a space in which different actors meet, the digital infrastructure for which management and control are enacted. But there are a huge number of different types of labour platform. 
At Fairwork, we generally categorize platforms into two different categories, cloud work platforms and geographically tethered platforms. The main distinction is between where the work is uh, done and how the work is uh, conducted. Uh, so cloud work platforms are labor platforms in which the actual work can be conducted in theory least from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connected. Once the companies that run the platform are based in a specific countries, the workforce on the platform can be actually global or planetary because you just need to log in into a website or an app and you can perform the work from wherever you are. And then there are the other kinds of platforms, which at Fairwork we refer to as geographically tethered or location-based platforms. These are the platforms that we tend to be much more familiar with, including the likes of ride-hailing platforms like Uber, Bolt or Ola, or food delivery platforms like Deliveroo, Uber Eats or Just Eat. And these platforms instead require us to have a much more localised workforce, because although the company associated with the platform can be located anywhere, the actual worker must be present in a specific geographic location for the work to be completed. Of course, these two types of platforms are very different the way work is performed, also in the types of issues and problems that are associated with these forms of work. Gigwork exists around the globe, in countries across the global north and south operating in numerous different social, political, economic and cultural contexts. And for Alessio, understanding this context is very important. None of these phenomena are actually happening in a social and institutional vacuum. We will always have the idea that in a sense the, the platform causes a new phenomenon and technology will override all other aspects of society. In a sense we have this sort of implicit bias towards this kind of technological determinism. However, in reality, other social, economic and institutional factors and even political factors play an important role in the way the platform economy operates in different countries. And the UK, uh, even before the advent of the platform economy, is in a very liberalised labour market with a very deregulated employment framework, at least since the Thatcher era. And platform work is not the first kind of non-standard, precarious and insecure work that has happened and has appeared in the UK. From the time in which fixed-term contracts were introduced and legalised back in the 70s to the kind of more recent spread of agency work and zero-hour contracts that appear specifically in the past uh, 10 to 15 years after the financial uh, crisis or immediately before the financial crisis, we can see how you know the platform economy is part of a much broader trend towards the deregulation of the labour market towards more insecure and more regular employment and further away from the classical nine-to-five regular full-time um, permanent job. And since the early Thatcher era... Well, I think the unions are obviously one body where a fanatical, tiny fanatical minority can and seem to be able to take over a whole union. Going up to the recent Trade Unions Act of 2016... It saddens me beyond words that we're here today dealing with the most significant, sustained and partisan attack on yes. six million trade union members and their workplace organisations that we've seen in this country in the last 30 years. Unions have always been uh, kind of disempowered in representing workers, not only in the platform economy in the North Standard uh, employment, but more generally in the, in the UK uh, labour market. Uh, so 
the context of the gig economy in the UK is a very liberalized one, is a very deregulated one, is one in which unions have had very little uh, power to represent workers. And none of the recent governments have been actually willing to introduce any form of re-regulation or any form of minimum labor standards in this form of work nor for the other forms of precarious non-standard work, which are also uh, very common in the UK. The voices you heard there were Margaret Thatcher talking in 1984 and the MP Angela Eagle addressing the Commons in 2015. So the gig economy is a very recent phenomenon. It only started developing the last, not even a decade, really uh, is now booming and the the current uh, coronavirus pandemic has actually accelerated the growth of this uh, form of work. But many of us probably have an Uber app uh, or a delivery app to get deliveries on a weekend or to go on a ride when, uh, um, I don't know, maybe it's late at night or when it's raining. Uh, so these platforms have become very, very common and they employ many people, uh, several hundred thousand or up to millions, you know, according to some uh, Office of National Statistics estimate, about 4% of the UK population in 2019 was employed in the gig economy. Um, and and these companies, these these forms of work have been growing at double digits in this in the in terms of workforce, but also in terms of revenues. In terms of the development of the gig economy in the UK, there are several key moments which help us to understand the way in which the gig economy is structured and the way in which it is regulated. One such moment which shaped the political landscape surrounding the UK government's attempt to regulate the platform economy was the publication of the Taylor Review. Theresa May government, uh, prompted by some scandals of labour market exploitations in the low-skilled service sectors, uh, which were not actually confined to just the platform's uh, economy. But this prompted the government to actually rethink the labour market framework and how it was penalising many workers and it was causing many issues when it comes to quality of work and exploitation in the labour market. Theresa May decided to commission an independent review by Matthew Taylor from the RSA in order to rethink what possible reforms could be done within the UK labour market and what could be put in place to make it more adapted to new working practices. As the world of work changes, our practices and laws must properly reflect and accommodate those changes. Because good work is in the interests of good business. Again, as I said, it was not confined to the platform economy, but the platform economy was definitely on top of the agenda, together with other forms of these non-standard or very precarious work like zero-hour contracts. Matthew Taylor wrote an independent review together with many collaborators that was published in 2017 and became known as the so-called Taylor Review. And although the Taylor Review, uh, in a sense, addressed and discussed many of the issues in relation to the platform economy, it didn't really introduce any major reform and or any major suggestion for reform in the UK labour market framework. Uh, it discussed, for example, the issue of employment status and uh, it pledges, kind of, is, is kind of suggested to to have a better and clearer classification of the definition of worker, uh, but it doesn't really address the issue of algorithmic management and data protection. But the report failed to go far enough in meaningfully introducing any major change to the current government regulation. 
most notably in terms of the employment classification of gig workers. The Theresa May government was actually even more timid in that sense. They really followed only a handful of the suggestions that were proposed by Baylor in the review. And the result of it is actually that now up to almost like five years, uh, well, four and a half years after the uh, review was uh, published, we really have an employment regulation framework that hasn't really changed much compared to what it was a decade or even 15 years ago. Uh, so it really cannot be said to have really adapted to these new conditions and to these new working uh, practices. And at the same time, the recent government by Boris Johnson have been, of course, very busy with the Brexit issues first and now with the coronavirus virus pandemic. Uh, so the issue of employment regulation and employment reforms have been going down on the, pri- on the priority agenda for uh, this government. And of course, there's been a lot of discussion about the introduction now uh, by Rishi Sunak of a new employment bill. This hasn't really appeared uh, in, in, in kind of, it hasn't been published or hasn't really been uh, discussed, let, let aside being uh, approved. However, 2021 saw a landmark ruling in the UK Supreme Court on the case Uber versus Aslam brought to a tribunal by Uber drivers contesting their employment status. The Supreme Court has ruled that a group of Uber drivers must be treated as workers rather than self-employed, a decision which means they could be entitled to a minimum wage and holiday pay. And this represented a landmark ruling in the platform declaring Uber drivers to be limby workers rather than self-employed, and this granted them a number of employment rights, including minimum wage, um, holiday pay, uh, social protections, and, and so on. Um, and but also, for example, uh, right to health and safety, anti-discrimination law, and of course, a bigger ability to actually collectively bargain and to collectively be represented by unions and workers' organizations. And the GMB was one of the unions that only a few days ago signed the first agreement, the first collective agreement between Uber and a union for the regulations of uh, these forms of work. Um, and as I said, this, this Supreme Court case came after almost five years of a battle that this group of Uber drivers had brought against Uber in order to be reclassified. And there have been, but the, the Uber case, in a sense, has not been the only uh, case that's been brought to court contesting the, the employment status of workers. There have been many other court cases that have been brought in front of the court by, uh, by unions in front of the employment tribunals to regulate and change the current status of many drivers. But not only in relation to the, to the employment status, but also with issues such as algorithmic management, algorithmic control, and data protection. Uh, there was also a recent ruling of a court in Amsterdam because part of the contract, surprisingly, part of the contract between Uber and its drivers is regulated by Dutch law. Um, so this case was brought to an Amsterdam tribunal by a handful of Uber drivers from the UK. And they were asking for more transparency in algorithmic management and more clarity about data management. Uh, and again, the court ruled in favour of a driver, saying that Uber and other gig companies, uh, such as Ola, also have to provide more transparency in the ways jobs are allocated and the way data are managed and stored and used by companies. Uh, so as you can see, there have been a lot of movement at the level of courts, at the level of jurisprudence. However, it's also important to highlight that many political parties are becoming more aware 
that this work cannot be done just by the court and there is really a specific need to change legislations to make the courts work less and also to make it easier for workers to see their rights enforced. Um, so in the end, um, these, um, these working practices implemented by the platforms will be probably subject to change in the courts, but we, we really need to make the change happening at the more political and legislative level rather than being decided by uh, the court. Uh, so it's important not to leave this all uh, to the courts, but... Uh, Having an employment framework that really works for everyone, that is simple, that is clear, and includes a minimum of labor standards for every worker, not just in the platform economy, but in any sector and in any forms of work in the UK economy. Understanding the context of the gig economy in the UK is particularly important given the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. This includes not only the uncertain financial implications for the UK economy, but also the increased role that gig economy platforms have played in the provision of services since the UK began implementing lockdowns in March last year. Uh, so in a sense, with Brexit, with the economic crisis uh, brought by the coronavirus, we haven't actually really understood the extent or how severe it, the overall um, economic consequences of, of, uh, of, the, of, of the crisis uh, will be and what, what the, really the post-pandemic world will look uh, like. Um, but we don't know exactly also what's going to be the consequences in employment for, for many workers. But what we know is that an increase in unemployment and increasing difficulties for workers to find employment in more traditional sectors, uh, we can expect that many of these workers will switch, at least temporarily, uh, until they find better job opportunities to platform work. Uh, in a sense, platform work grants is an easy way to, um, to earn some money, to earn an income while at the same time looking for other forms of employment because it grants at least a certain degree of flexibility. Um, so in a sense, it will be even more relevant in the years to come to really find a clear way and a decent way of regulating the gig economy because many more workers will be involved in these forms of employment. And according to some estimates, by 2025, up to one third of labor transactions will be mediated by a digital platform. So we're talking, although these, these estimates might be slightly exaggerated, we this gives an idea of the size of the phenomenon and how much it will grow in the incoming years. Um, at the same time, we also know that many traditional companies, in order to save costs, in order to simplify the labor process, are also switching to more optimized forms of employment, uh, which are platformized. And, and, and of course, this is, in a sense, a form also of outsourcing of some working activities that before were done in-house. So we see the, the expansion of platform economy in two ways. On the one hand, we will have more kind of already established platform that will expand their revenues and their activities, attracting more workers. And on the other hand, more traditional companies uh, that will also expand in the platform economy by relying on platform-based forms of work. We're entering into an uncertain future. With a model currently being created and perfected by gig economy platforms, looks set to expand into new areas of our economy. At the same time, the UK is faced with a number of external challenges to the functioning of its economy. 
So what does the future look like for the gig economy in the UK? Well, this is very difficult to say, uh, although there are some kind of optimistic signs. As I said, the Supreme Court case is a very good victory, is a very important for many uh, ride-hailing workers in the UK. And other cases will also bring some clarity on the working condition and the, especially the employment status of these gig economy workers in the UK. So the signs are encouraging, but as I was saying before, not everything can be left to the court. And from the policy side, from the government side, we haven't really seen many encouraging steps over the regulations and the clarifications of the employment status of these of these workers. Uh, so while there are some encouraging signs from the tribunals and the court sign, hasn't been so much so many encouraging signs from the government uh, and from kind of the policymakers uh, side. At the same time, uh, outside the policy arena, we also see that some platforms are recognizing the sustainability of uh, their working models. Platforms like Just Eat has made important moves towards reclassifying uh, its workers. Uber has voluntarily decided to reclassify um, its workforce, uh, although it was only obliged to do so for a certain numbers of, a certain number of workers. Um, and, and as I said, by changing the employment status, this will provide workers with many more rights and uh, it will be a very important step uh, towards granting these workers fairer and more decent working uh, conditions. Um, uh, so we see that some action has been happening on the company side uh, and this might predict more changes to come in the incoming years. Um, uh, and I hope that the work we are doing with Fair Work will also help pushing uh, the platform economy in the UK towards fairer standards and more fairer and decent forms of work for uh, UK gig workers. Thanks to Alessio Bertolini. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. We're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Warren with composition by Louis Bollet's.